ready to get in God's Word today? Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're just talking about the Word of God. Are you guys ready to get in God's Word? All right. Let's bust open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, please. Galatians chapter 1 for this morning's Bible study. This is a new pulpit, Pastor Ross. I kind of like it. Might take it with me. <laughs> just kidding. Just joking. All right. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your incredible grace. We are grateful this morning for the word, yes, written by men, but those men were carried along, inspired by your spirit. And so the words that we have before us today are the very words of God, meant to impact us, meant to speak to our lives, and meant to transform us, to make us more like your son Jesus, and to help us live the life that you have called us to live. And so right now, as we look into your word, we're asking for the help of the Holy Spirit of God. We want your help, Lord, to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. We can't do this without you. And so I pray that you'd please speak to us, you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that wants to obey. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this past week, I got to read an incredible testimony of a gentleman by the name of Thomas Torrance. Uh, back in the 60s, the height of the civil rights movement, uh, he was a member of the KKK and the White Knights of Mississippi, whom the FBI considered the most violent right-wing terrorist group in all of America. And so this guy... He hated Jews, and he hated blacks, and he considered them the enemy of the United States of America and of the white race. And so, uh, being a member of these terrible groups, uh, he was involved in over 30 bombings of homes, churches, and synagogues. And during one of those attempts, the SWAT team raided him, ended up killing one of his accomplices, and he was shot at point-blank rage four different times with a shotgun. By the grace of God, this man survived and was thrown into the slammer. Shortly after being in the slammer, he attempted an escape with another accomplice. That person was killed, and Thomas was thrown into solitary confinement. Now, there's not much to do in solitary confinement, is there? other than hit your head up against a wall or read. And so it was in there that he was given a copy of our Bible, the very Bible that you have sitting on your lap before you this morning. And he began to read the Gospels and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And one particular day as he was reading about the Lord, he felt compelled by the Spirit of the living God to get down on his knees 
and ask Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And this man in that cell all by himself became a born-again Christian. Well, after his release, eight years later, uh, he became the pastor of a multiracial church in Washington, D.C. God is so funny. And uh, I I love the Lord and his humor. And also today, he's the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute. So just an amazing story and testimony. A guy goes from being a terrorist to totally devoted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I bring this up because in today's text, we're going to read another testimony of a former terrorist. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was a guy who attempted to bulldoze churches, but then he comes to know Jesus Christ, gets a name change from Saul to Paul, and now he's building the church of Jesus Christ. And so today, he's going to share that story, and the motivation for sharing the story is there's some false teachers who have crept into the church, and they're, they're teaching Christians that in order to get to heaven, uh, you have to earn it by your good works, by your good deeds. And so the Apostle Paul is like, <clears throat> excuse me, have you heard my story? You know what I used to do to the people of God? I used to kill them. And so I would never make it if you're trying to get into heaven by being a good person, and neither would any of us. The message of Galatians is all about the grace of God. We get to heaven because God gives it to us as a free gift through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you have experienced the grace of God. And if you've experienced the grace of God, that means you have a testimony. That means you have a story to share. And that's my prayer this morning, that God's Holy Spirit would inspire each and every single one of us to share our story of what God has done in and through our lives. So, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 11 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll kind of walk our way through it. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him. That's Peter, by the way, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that What I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. 
and they praised God because of me. So that's our passage for this morning. And so here the Apostle Paul is giving us a, a little abbreviated version of his autobiography, his personal testimony. And he's going to tell us about his life before Christ. We might call those his, his BC days. We all have our BC days. And then he's going to talk about his life with Christ, how he, how he got saved and, and what he's been doing you know, since he became a born-again Christian. But before he gets into those details, in verses 11 and 12, he gives us the reason why he's sharing his testimony. It's because he wants these Christians to know that the gospel, that the message of Jesus Christ is heaven sent. Not that it sort of floated down from heaven, you know, like this, but, but that the message of Jesus Christ originated with God, that it was God's idea, that the, the gospel message is from the very heart of God. And, and this is really important because the apostle Paul is dealing with young believers, not young in age, but young in the faith. And they're impressionable, and these false teachers are, are creeping in and, and introducing a different gospel, which the Apostle Paul said earlier in the chapter is no gospel at all. They're preaching a different Jesus, and they're introducing a different spirit. And not only are they doing that, they're also criticizing the Apostle Paul, and they're criticizing the message that he's preaching. Oh, that Apostle Paul, that gospel that he preaches, it's, it's too simple. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ridiculous. It's much more complex than that. And so that's the motivation for Paul writing and sharing his story here. And he wants these, these Christians to know that this, this gospel that he's preaching, it, it's not man's gospel. It wasn't invented by any man. It came from God. It's not the result of some religious think tank, you know, these men sitting around a fire got together, you know, and, and they start talking, gentlemen, it's time this world has a new religion, you know, and they're smoking on their pipes and their legs are crossed and they're like, we need to think up something new because all of the religions of the world are getting old and stale. I think the world is, is ready for something new. And, and one of the gentlemen there puffing on his pipe, you know, I've got it. I have got it. This will catch on. God comes down from heaven, becomes a human being, dies a substitutionary death on the cross, comes back from the dead, and all we do is believe in him and we get eternal life. No, there is no way any man would have ever came up with the gospel message. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say. He said, Christianity must be from God, who else could have thought this up? There's no way any human being would ever come up with the gospel message. I mean, the Greeks wouldn't have come up with this. The Greeks believed that the body was evil, and the gospel message is that God became a human being. God, the Son of God, walked around in a human body. And then after we die, we get a new body. The Greeks said, no way, the body is evil. And when you die, your spirit floats off and you're set free finally. So there's no way the Greeks would have came up with this. The Jews would have never came up with this message because their idea of the Messiah was this conquering king. And yet Jesus, 
He comes down from heaven and he's a humble servant and he lays down his life on a cross. He's, he's strung up and, and, and nailed to a tree, but their own scriptures say, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So there's no way our Messiah would ever be cursed by God. So there's no way the Jews would have came up with this and no one else either. You know, man wants glory and no man would have invented a religion that doesn't bring any glory to man. We like the idea of, of earning things, of being worthy of things, of deserving. I mean, we're used to it. Think about it. You know, if you want your pie, if you want some ice cream, then you need to make sure that you eat all of your vegetables. You need to earn that pie. You need to earn that ice cream, you know? If you want to get into a good college, then you need to make sure that you study hard, you, you work hard, you, you get straight A's. And you know, parents, those things are good. We should teach our kids those kinds of things. And, and same with the workforce. You want a promotion? You want to raise, then you need to work really hard. You need to earn it. You need to, you need to deserve it. And so that kind of thinking, you know, we're used to it. And then many people, they apply that to the afterlife as well and to their, to their thinking of spiritual things. Well, if I just do these five steps, you know, if I give this amount of money, if I say these chants, if I do these stretches, you know, if I'm a good person, then of course I will earn heaven. I, I, I deserve it. Of course I will achieve enlightenment or enter into nirvana, you know. And so many people, they have this idea this thinking that they have to earn their way into heaven. But I'll say this, if we could earn our way into heaven, then we might as well change our worship songs altogether. It's not praise you, Lord Jesus. It would be praise Jim. You are amazing. You have, you have earned a spot in God's kingdom. I should be on the worship team, huh? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the only thing that we can earn in, in this life is the judgment of God. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And the biblical message is you don't get to heaven by earning it. You get to heaven by grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. In other words, it's because of Jesus, and it's because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his subsequent resurrection, and all God requires of us is that we repent and put our faith and trust in him. And so Paul, this is the reason why he's sharing, and now he's going to get into his, his BC days, his life before Jesus, and all of us have had our BC days. No one is born a Christian just because you're born into a Christian household, you know, and you have Christian parents and a Christian dog and, and you go to a Christian church and you have a Christian Bible. That doesn't make you a, a Christian. All of us are born lost and we have to be born again by making that personal decision to put our trust in Jesus. So Paul's going to tell us about his BC days. He mentions his former life in Judaism. Judaism was the religion of the Jews. And by the time of Jesus, it had really evolved into something that God had never intended it to be. Not only were they 
attempting to obey all of the Old Testament laws as their ticket to heaven. They were also trying to keep the oral traditions that had been passed on to them by the rabbi. They exalted these oral traditions uh, as scripture. They considered it as, as the holy word of God. If you're interested in knowing more about those, they're, they're kept in a book called the Talmud today, which is 2,711 pages of commentary on how to keep all of the laws in the Old Testament. And so all these people back in those days were trying to, to do all of this to get into the kingdom of God. Now, the face of Judaism during the Apostle Paul's time uh, was Gamaliel. He was the premier and prominent rabbi of the day, sort of like the, the Billy Graham of Judaism. And Saul, Saul of Tarsus, was his number one student. Paul even mentions, or Saul, uh, even mentions how he was advancing beyond many Jews of his own age. And so if there was a yearbook, you know, he would have been voted most likely to succeed in the religion of Judaism. So Saul or Paul, whatever you want to call him, was this extremely zealous and religious man before he came to know Jesus Christ. And he was an antichrist. I mean, his mission in life was to, to put an end to the name of Jesus, to put an end to us. I mean, if you read about his story in Acts chapter 8 and 9, uh, he was a guy who was out to, to just rid the world of Christians. I mean, the testimony there is that he would kick people's doors in, Christian homes like, like yours and, and mine, and he would drag men and women out of their houses. He would take them down to the precinct, he would interrogate them, and he would even compel them to blaspheme. In other words, you need to renounce the name of Jesus. If you don't renounce the name of Jesus, you're done. You're toast. Say goodbye to your family. Sign your last will and testament because you're gone. And so this guy, Saul of Tarsus, he was a psycho. He was crazy. He was a, he was a terrorist against Christians before he came to know Jesus Christ. And so it's not like any Christian was going to invite Saul out for a cup of coffee. <laughs> hey, Saul, you know, I, I know you don't understand much about Jesus and the Christian faith. So I was just thinking, you know, maybe you and me, we could go out for a cup of coffee. We'll sit down and we'll go over the things of the faith and, and we'll go over what it means to be a Christian. There's no way any Christian would ever be able to do that with Saul of Tarsus. You're not going over the things of the faith because if you try to meet with this guy, you're going under, okay, six feet under. You try to go out for coffee with Saul of Tarsus and you're going to end up in a coffin. And that's the point the Apostle Paul is trying to make here. I got my message. It wasn't invented by man. Matter of fact, I didn't even receive it from a man. It came to me through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And here he is referencing his divine encounter, which you read about in Acts chapter 9, an amazing story, powerful testimony where he is on his way 
with warrants. He received warrants for the arrests of Christians from the high priest. He goes to the high priest. I, I heard there's some Christians. They've scattered, you know, and they've gone to these foreign countries. And I think I can go up there and I could put an end to Christianity once and for all. I just need some official documents and paperwork from you guys. And so he gets that permission, you know, signed by the high priest. And he heads north to Damascus. And he's almost to the city. And as he approaches the city, the scripture says, a light brighter than the sun shone around him. And he was knocked down to the ground. And he was blinded. And then a voice began to speak to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's tripping out because he knows it's God speaking to him. And so he says, Lord, who are you? In other words, I know it's God speaking to me. What is your name? And God from heaven speaks to him and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so right there in that very moment, he has this revelation that the gospel, that these Christians have been spreading and preaching of, of Christ being crucified and resurrected from the grave. It's all true. Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is the Christ. And you know what? That is the only logical explanation for Saul becoming Paul. The only logical explanation is Jesus that Jesus appeared to him, that Jesus is alive. It's not like he just woke up one morning. You know what? I'm kind of bored with killing Christians. It's getting old. I think I'll become one. I'm tired of wrecking the church of Jesus. I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. You know what? I'll become a pastor and, and a missionary and, and a church planner. And I'll write some books as well. How about 13 of them, 14 of them maybe? I don't think so. That doesn't happen. That does not happen. The only logical explanation is Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is what I love about the Bible. And this is what I love about our gospel and the gospel message that the Bible doesn't say, got religion? It's not asking us that question. Do, do you got religion? You know, because if you get religion, it's going to help you live a good life. And it might even help you get on God's good side. That is not the message of the Bible. Mm -mm -mm. The message of the Bible isn't got religion. The message of the Bible is, do you got Jesus? Do you got Jesus? Because you're on the Titanic, ladies and gentlemen. And guess what? It has hit an iceberg and it is sinking and we're on it and we're going down. And Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the lifeboat, and we need to run to Jesus. We need to, to cling to Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. The secular person needs Jesus. Before I was a Christian, I was just a secular guy. I wasn't a religious guy. I was just doing my own thing, living my own life. I didn't think about God ever. And I'll tell you what, being a person who knows nothing about God, who doesn't even think about God, that kind of life is empty, and vain, the secular person needs Jesus, especially, I mean, all of the things that I did before I was a Christian, terrible. I was a really good sinner. Terrible person, excellent sinner. And you know what? The Bible says I was gonna be judged for every single one of my sins. My thoughts, my words, 
my deeds. That's scary. The secular person needs Jesus. The religious person needs Jesus. You know, they're zealous for their religion. They have their, their checklist, their, their to-do list. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. And, and then maybe, hopefully, I'll get in. I mean, it, talk to any religious person on the planet. Talk to a Jehovah's Witness. Talk to a, a Mormon. Talk to a Muslim. They don't have any assurance they're not guaranteed heaven. I mean, are, are you going to go to heaven? Are, are you, what's your afterlife going to be like? Well, I don't know for sure, you know, but I'm trying really hard. I knock on so many doors. I give so much money. I pray five times a day. Hopefully he's watching. Hopefully he's paying attention, but you know, it's all in his hands. We'll find out when we get there. They have no assurance. Every religion on the face of the planet is like that. None of them have any assurance. The only people on the face of the planet who have assurance are born-again Christians. The only people who know where they are going to go when they die are born-again Christians. Here's what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have, that you have, that you have eternal life. I, I, I love that scripture because it guarantees me that I am going to heaven simply through my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big deal to me because the Bible talks about heaven forever. And doesn't that sound great? Heaven forever. But then it talks about this other place, this scary place, and that's forever as well. I don't want to gamble with that. I, I don't want to gamble my eternity. I, I want to know for sure. You know, I'm terrible at gambling. That's one of the reasons why I don't do it. But just last week, well, I didn't gamble last week, but I may... <laughs> I'm a Christian. I don't gamble, Okay. I made a prediction, all right? I was at my son's high school football, or excuse me, youth football game, and it was before the game, and I was feeling really confident in our team's ability to put a whooping on the other team. And so I looked at these guys in the stand, and I looked at them, I said, mark my words, the Willits Cougars are going to win 40 to nothing. Mark my words. Well, we ended up losing 52 to 12. <laughs> terrible, right? I'm bad at gambling. That's the point I'm trying to make. I don't want to gamble, you know, with my eternity. Eternity is forever and ever. I want to guarantee, and Jesus is my guarantee. And so Paul tells us a little bit about his life before Christ, and now he's going to tell us about his life with Christ. And in verse number 15, he tells us that it, that it started with the Lord uh, reaching out to him. I was this crazy, lost, religious, terrorist guy, but when God, he says in verse number 15, God reached out to me. And I love this 
conjunction here in the scripture. I mean, commentators call it the, the blessed conjunctions of the scripture, those beautiful conjunctions, you know. But God, we see another one in Ephesians chapter two. I mean, the apostle Paul writing to that church, you know, he's like, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're following the course of this world. We're following the devil and we were destined for the wrath of God. It was, it was dark, it was bleak. But then he goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. And, and the point he's making with these conjunctions is that the Lord is the initiator of our salvation. Anyone who gets into heaven, anyone who ends up there, it's because of Jesus. It's because of his incredible grace. And so he tells us that his salvation started with God. It started with the Lord reaching out to him. And then he even tells us that it started before he was born. You know, he set me apart from my mother's, from my mother's womb from before I was born. He chose me. Now, God says this a couple other places in the Bible. He said it to a, a, a young guy named Jeremiah. He said, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, you know, and before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. He said it to Paul. He said it to Jeremiah. And guess what? He even says it to us. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8, he says that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. I mean, your name's been in there for a really long time if you're a Christian. And I don't know about you, but that makes the gears in my brain, you know, start to fry. I try to think through that and it just doesn't work. I mean, the smoke starts coming out of my ears. And how does he do that? How does he know us, you know, from the foundation of the world? How does he choose us? How does he love us? Before we're ever born, well, my daughter and I, we have this little thing that we do, you know, it's a competition on who loves who more. And I'll say like, I love you more. She says, no, you don't. I love you more. I said, no, you don't. I love you more. She says, oh yeah, well, I loved you my whole life. And I say, well, oh yeah, I loved you before you were born. I loved you before you even knew who I was, you know? I, I loved her while she was in her mama's womb. And that kind of helps me understand a little bit how God loved me before I was born. You know, he's the one who thought me up. I was in his mind. You know, I'm not an accident. You know, I'm not the result of evolution. It wasn't like God created everything and then all of a sudden everything started evolving and then the first human beings came into existence and God's like, oh my goodness, a human being. Wow, I never thought this would happen. This is so cool. You know, when I created that slime ball, I never thought it would turn into something so amazing. Wow, they even look like me and act like me. That's not like that at all. He thought us up. He invented us. He invented Jim Semesh. He wanted me on the face of this planet. And he even determined the number of hairs on my head, and I hope they stay there. <laughs> uh, 
That's right, Pastor Ross. <laughs> He's going to get me back. I already know it. <laughs> Numbered the hairs on our head. How many days we would live. Our parents, where we would live. And he thought us up. And he chose us. He chose to pour out his grace on us. He chose to love us. Now, that doesn't mean he decided our fate and violated our, our, our free will. God's outside of time. I don't know how it all works, but I do know that he's eternal. And so he knows the end from the beginning. I kind of watch life as live television. God looks at our entire life like a rerun. He's seen it like a hundred different times, but everything to us is fresh and, and new, and when he thought me up in, in the beginning, long before I ever was, he, he knew everything I would do. He, he knew everything about me, and he knew that if I would be given the opportunity to receive salvation, because he knew I would sin, if I make a Jim Semish, he's going to sin a lot. <laughs> but if I give him the opportunity to receive forgiveness and and to receive salvation, I know he's going to say yes. And so I choose Jim. I choose to show him my grace. I, I choose to love him. And I am choosing to, to influence his life and to reveal my son to him. David, in Psalm 139 and verse 6, he's, he's talking about this knowledge of God, you know, God's omniscience and how he knows our thoughts from afar and our words from afar. And he knows everything we do in advance. And he just cries out in the psalm, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. How is God able to do this? I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot about God that we cannot comprehend. His omniscience, how, how has he always existed? <laughs> He's always been. Try grasping that. How did he speak the world into existence? How is he three persons and yet one God? Uh, there's a lot about God that we, we cannot grasp and, and understand. But ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, do we want the God that we can understand? Or do we want God as he is, as he has revealed himself? That's the God that I want. I want God as he is as he has revealed himself. And so Paul tells us, it started with the Lord reaching out to me. It started before I was born, but there was a point in my life where God called me, where God began to speak to me and he revealed his son in me. And I'll tell you what, when God begins to speak to you in your life, you know, he speaks loud and clear, doesn't he? His voice is unmistakable. There's nothing like the voice of Jesus, the voice of his spirit speaking to your heart. The scripture says that his voice is distinct, like a trumpet or like the sound of rushing water. It's not that his voice literally sounds like a trumpet. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, that must be God, you know? <laughs> no, but it just has that distinct sound. You know when God is speaking to your heart. I mean, in, in the New Testament, when the bad guys went to arrest Jesus, Jesus spoke back to them. And so these soldiers went back to the high priests and they're like, why haven't you arrested Jesus? And they're like, never a man spoke like this man before. I mean, when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, you know it. I mean, when he calmed the hurricane, you know, he just said, peace be still. I mean, imagine having that ability and that power. I mean, I would be really famous in this world if I could just go over to the East Coast during hurricane season and say, peace be still. 
But Jesus is able to do that because he is almighty God. And when he speaks, it's unmistakable. I mean, I remember when he started speaking to me. I didn't hear an audible voice, and I'm not talking about <laughs> hearing voices in my head or anything. It, he started speaking to my heart. I remember the first time when I was, I was back in, I believe, 2000, 2001, I was working at Albertsons as a checker, and a gal came through my line, and she handed me a gospel track, a little piece of paper, and it had two words on it, born again. And as she handed it to me, I reached out and I took it from her and I placed it in my pocket. And the whole experience, which lasted maybe about 10 seconds, I felt like someone was trying to communicate with me. Someone from above was speaking through that circumstance. Uh, another time when I was in college, uh, an old high school friend bumped into me and she sat me down and she began to share with me what Jesus was doing in her life. She talked to me for like an hour. At the end of the conversation, she prayed over me. And for the next three days, I wasn't saved yet, but I was thinking about nothing but God. For the first time in my life, I acknowledged that there was a creator. And then I remember speaking to my grandmother on the phone the night that I became a Christian. And it was like God commandeered her voice and just took over and began to speak directly to my soul telling me that I could receive a new life, forgiveness, that he would make me into a brand new person. So when God begins to speak to you, man, it is unmistakable. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit began to speak to you? When Jesus began to reveal himself to you? It's wonderful. Maybe even this morning for the first time, you're hearing God's spirit speak to your heart and your heart is feeling strangely warmed, I would encourage you today to turn your heart over to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is talking about how Jesus called him. And, and our calling as believers is, is not only to know Jesus, to, to enter into this rela relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by know Jesus is, is not know about him, you know, not have information about Jesus. Yeah, I know about Jesus. You know, he's that guy in that book that lived a, a really long time ago, you know, and he did some really cool things. He was a great person and a great teacher. And didn't he die? And isn't he alive? Isn't that what that book says? No, not know about Jesus, but know him, experience him, be in this relationship with him, personal relationship not only forever in heaven, but here, now, today, in your life. And so we're called to, to know him personally, but not just to know Jesus, also to, to make him known. Because Paul says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Not just know Jesus, but make him known. Paul says, I was called by God to, to reveal, to preach him among the Gentiles, which I think is hilarious and ironic because Paul's a Jew and the Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And Jewish boys were taught by the rabbis that the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the flames of hell. <laughs> and so here he is, this Jewish guy, you know, who's been taught his entire life that Gentiles are created by God to fuel the flames of hell. So God says, no, actually, they're not. And I'm calling you 
to go out among these people and tell them that they can escape the flames of hell and receive the free gift of everlasting life. I remember when I became a Christian and God revealed his son to me and and spoke to me and changed my heart and life. I, I remember from that moment on, I had a desire to make Jesus known. It sort of just kind of came with the package, you know? All of a sudden, I know Jesus, and now everybody else needs to know Jesus as well. (laughs) That's just how my thinking was. You know, I remember working at Safeway shortly after I became a Christian in Petaluma, and I used to keep a journal. My lunch break, I'd go outside, I'd eat my can of soup cold, you know, with my little plastic spoon, and I would journal, I'd read my Bible, and in my journal, I changed the name of Safeway to Savedway, because I wanted everybody in Safeway to get saved, and so nobody in that store was safe. I'd go outside, I would read my Bible, I'd pray, and then I'd go inside of Safeway and try to tell all of my coworkers about our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, the moment I became a Christian, I had just this desire to make him known. Did you get that? Did you get that desire when you became a Christian where you're like, you know what, I want my friends to know Jesus. I want my family to know Jesus. I want my classmates to know Jesus. I want my coworkers to know Jesus. I want my neighbors to know Jesus. I want the whole world to know Jesus. Do you have that today? Do you have that desire today? Why do we tell people about Jesus? Is it because we have to? You know, I have to tell people about Jesus. You know, if I don't tell people about Jesus, God's going to be mad at me. And he might strike me down right now. You know, yesterday I told five people about Jesus, you know, but I, I got to up that quota because he's watching, you know. And so I, I have to tell people about Jesus. Is that why we tell people about Jesus? No. We tell people about Jesus because we want to. We tell people about Jesus because he's wonderful because he's merciful, because he's gracious and forgiving. And no one should live a single moment without being in a relationship with the author of life. And that is our Jesus, our wonderful savior. So Paul tells us about his travels after he got saved. He says, hey, I didn't go down to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles. In other words, I didn't get the message from them. I spent some time in Arabia, out in the desert, went back to Damascus. Then after three years, I went back to Jerusalem for a couple of weeks, more or less a, a tourist tour, a tourist uh, trip. You know, he spent some time with Peter and with James, the Lord's brother. And then he went back to Cilicia, back to his hometown of Tarsus. And his whole point in giving us that travel log is to say that this is God's message. The, the message, Galatians, that I'm preaching to you about the grace of Jesus Christ, it's, it's God's message and my testimony, how I got saved What happened to me after I got saved is proof that this is God's message. My brothers and sisters, we have a purpose in life. Your purpose is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And and I just want to say this. The best way to make Jesus known is to share with people how Jesus has made himself known to you. The best way to make Jesus known is to tell people how Jesus made himself known to you. In other words, your story, your testimony, that is proof that Jesus Christ is alive and that the gospel is heaven sent. Now, most of us, we don't have a 
Apostle Paul's story. Most of us have a, a simple story of how God revealed himself to us. And I think most of the testimonies, and we're almost done here. I appreciate your guys' patience. Just like 40 or 50 more minutes. <laughs> but most of the stories in the Bible of people coming to know the Lord are simple. And I just want to mention a few, and then we'll close out. The story of Andrew. You know, he comes to know Jesus, and so he wants his family to come and know Jesus. And so he goes and finds his brother Peter, and all he says is, hey, I found the Messiah. Come and check him out. You know, that's it. I found Jesus. You got to meet him. That's Andrew's testimony. That's Andrew's story. And what happens? Peter comes to know Jesus, and then Philip Philip becomes a believer. Jesus reveals himself to Philip. He says, hey, bro, follow me. And so Philip starts following Jesus. And so now Philip wants to tell people. And so he goes and he finds Nathaniel. He's like, hey, Nathaniel, guess what? We found the one that is written about in the law of Moses, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's like, you gotta come and see. And so what's his testimony? I found Jesus. <laughs> That's it. You got to come and see him. That's it. Very simple. Okay. And a couple more. John chapter four. We know the story of the woman at the well. She has this encounter with Jesus, this conversation with Jesus in which he reveals to her that he is the Messiah and he tells her things about her that, that, that he couldn't have possibly known unless she told him, which she didn't. And so he reveals to her that he, he knows what's going on inside every detail of her life. And so she goes back to her village and, and her testimony is so simple. It's one sentence, okay? It's, it's come and see a man who told me all I ever did. And the scripture says there in John chapter four and verse 39, that whole village, all of those Samaritans in that town came to believe in Jesus because of her simple testimony. Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. One more and then we're done, okay? <laughs> I've got two minutes left on the timer here. Mark chapter five and verse 19, Jesus delivers this man who has a legion of demons. He's psychotic, okay? He's cutting himself with stones. He's screaming out. He lives at a graveyard for crying out loud. And, and Jesus, you know, he exercises these demons out of this man. He restores him to his right mind. And the guy's like, Jesus, I just want to hang out with you. I want to go wherever you go. I just want to be with you 24-7. And Jesus is like, no, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home to your friends and to your family. And I want you to tell them the good things that God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so Jesus is instructing us on how to share the gospel. Just go and tell people the good things that God has done for you and how he's been merciful to you. You don't have to sit down with people and do a 10-point Bible study and go over theology and prove creation. You just share your story you just share your testimony of how God has been good to you and how he has had mercy on you. You know, there's people in your sphere of influence who do not know Jesus. Right now, they are living without God, without Christ, without hope. And I am a firm believer that God wants to use you, that God wants to use your story.
that he wants to use your testimony. I mean, Paul says, God chose me before I was born. That means there are other people who are chosen who right now are in disguise. They're disguised as non-believers. They don't even know they're going to become Christians. We don't know that they're going to become Christians, but God knows. And I believe that he wants to use your story, your testimony to make a difference. And so share his story by sharing your story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here at The Rock, Pastor Ross and his team. Love them so much. I am forever indebted to this fellowship and to this leadership team. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would bless them, that you fill them with your spirit, that they would meditate on your word this morning, that you would help them to apply it, that you would open doors to share the faith, to share their story. We pray that many people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through this fellowship and through the sharing of testimonies. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 